I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then has he become plunder? Lions have roared. They have growled at him. They have laid waste his land. His towns are burned and deserted. Also the men of Memphis and Tephanes have cracked your skull. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? Now why go to Egypt to drink water from the Nile? Why go to Assyria to drink water from the Euphrates? Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Long ago you broke off your yoke and tore off your bonds. You said, I will not serve you. Indeed, on every high hill and under every spreading tree, you lay down as a prostitute. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, 
The stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. How can you say I am not defiled? I have not run after the bales. See how you behaved in the valley. Consider what you have done. You are a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving. In her heat, who can restrain her? Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves. At mating time, they will find her. Do not run until your feet are bare and your throat is dry. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods. I must go after them. As a thief is disgraced when he is caught, so the people of Israel are disgraced. They, their kings and their officials, their priests and their prophets. They say to wood, you are my father, and to stone, you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you when you are in trouble. For you, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns. Why do you bring charges against me? You have all rebelled against me, declares the Lord. In vain I punished your people. They did not respond to correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a ravenous lion. You of this generation, consider this the word of the Lord. Have I been a desert to Israel, or a land of great darkness? Why do my people say, we are free to roam, we will come to you no more? Does a young woman forget her jewellery, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me, days without number. How skilled you are at pursuing love. Even the worst of women can learn from your ways. On your clothes is found the lifeblood of the innocent poor, though you did not catch them breaking in. Yet in spite of all this, you say, I am innocent. He is not angry with me. But I will pass judgment on you, because you say, I have not sinned. Why do you go about so much, changing your ways? You will be disappointed by Egypt, as you were by Assyria. You will also leave that place with your hands on your head. For the Lord has rejected those you trust. You will not be helped by them. Thank you, Sue. Well read. Well read. Um, and wasn't that video great, actually? Really, really great to help uh, give us the bigger picture. And I do encourage you to, to go away and watch that again, uh, because there's so much in there. Um, and it's also uh, really exciting to, to study Jeremiah. I don't know what your favorite books of the Bible are. Uh, I can't say Jeremiah is my favorite one, but it's been really exciting studying it so far. And I'm hoping tonight that uh, we would uh, be just as excited. Uh, also, after this, I would encourage you to go and listen to Phil's message last week on Jeremiah chapter 1, again, setting the scene really well, telling us about the sovereign Lord who called a nobody priest called Jeremiah, and he responded. And he was called to take the Lord's message to Israel and the nations, and this sovereign Lord is in control over all, 
who speaks to us and through us. He judges wickedness and sends us. And so off to Jerusalem goes this man, young man, Jeremiah, from the hill country of nowhere. And we pick up that bit of the story in in Jeremiah chapter 2. But first I want to tell you about Michael. Uh, I knew Michael a couple of years ago when I was out in the States. I did a, uh, I was at a Bible school for a couple of years before uh, coming here. Uh, And uh, Michael once tried to make himself some lunch. And it was a very simple lunch. It was just one boiled egg. And he put it in his pan and he was uh, boiling it away. But the problem was Michael got distracted. Uh, See, when we were on this in the Bible school, we were broken up into small groups. uh, And there was a a core leader over each group. And and at at this time when Michael was cooking his lunch... The leader, Travis, comes along and says, hey, Michael, let's go hang out. Let's go, you know, see how you're doing, chat, etc." And Michael was like, yeah, let's do that. And so off they went for lunch. I came back to the house, not knowing what's happened, and I opened the door, and there was the most intense heat in the room. It was unbelievable. I'm like, what is going on? So I walked through, came into the kitchen to see the stove, which was red hot, And then in the pan, there was no water, all evaporated, but just the charred, blackened remains of a burnt egg. So I quickly opened the the balcony windows and just let all that heat out. And about 15 minutes later, Michael came back. And so I called him from the balcony and said, hey, Michael, how was your egg? And his face went from happiness to horrified. And he ran inside and, oh, what have I done? I'm so sorry. The thing is, Michael, he got um, distracted. Over, um, over her boiling his eggs. He got distracted from his original task. Uh, and what we're going to see here is that Israel went astray and got distracted from its calling and its relationship to the Lord. The consequences for Michael were pretty small. I mean, we could have burnt the house down, but uh, nothing really happened. He just had a burnt egg. The consequences for Israel, though, were much, much more serious. And so they needed to hear this message from Jeremiah. And we do, too. So let's pray and then dive straight in. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is good and it is true. And that you speak to us even from the book of Jeremiah. So help me, Lord, to speak. Help us to understand by your spirit, we pray. Amen. If you've got your Bibles closed, reopen them to page 756. Going to get our noses into the scriptures tonight. The sad thing is that 20 minutes after me, after I finish talking, you're going to have forgotten 40% of what I've said. And in an hour's time, you're going to have lost over half of it. There's another study that says uh, on day two after receiving the information, you would have gone from 100% to about 50, or having lost 50 to 80%. By day seven, a week from now, Barely two or three percent of that will remain, which is kind of why I reminded you of what Phil was speaking last week, if you have forgotten, because the problem is that we are a forgetting people. We forget all the time. And Israel had this same problem. They'd forgotten. They'd forgotten who they were. They'd forgotten God. And so this is what Jeremiah says. Have a look down at verse 32 on the on the over the page 758. Second part of that verse, 32. Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number. Let's remind ourselves of of whom they've forgotten. 
God delivered his people, the Israelites, from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And he brought them out into the desert and he brought them to a place called Mount Sinai, Sinai, where he came himself on the mountain with fire and wonder and showed himself to his people. And there he made an agreement. He made a covenant to, uh, to be, for them to be his God, uh, sorry, for him to be their God and for, uh, uh, for them to uh, be his people and for him, uh, for them to witness him to the nations. But the problem of Israel's history again and again is they broke that promise. They forgot who they, who, who they were, who God was, and they f- had forsaken him. You can see that in verse 13. Back over the page again, verse 13. A recurring theme here. My people, they have forsaken me. Have a glance down to verse 17. Same thing again. Have you not brought this on yourselves by forsaking the Lord your God? And again in verse 19. When you forsake the Lord your God. They've abandoned God. What madness is this? This again, this is the God who brought them out of Egypt where they were in slavery. Brought them out with miraculous miracles, if I can say that phrase. And brought them to the promised land. And so therefore, God speaking through Jeremiah asked this question. We're going to jump around in the the verses quite a bit. So look at verse 5 here. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? What fault did they find in God? What fault can we find in God? Can we doubt his goodness? He says in verse 7, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and, and uh, and produce. Can we doubt God's goodness, his, his might, his creative power? I mean, look, look at how he's described in name alone in this passage. Verse 11, he's described as the end of verse 11, the glorious God. How about verse 19? He's described there as the Lord Almighty. Well, what about verse 22 from last week? Declares the sovereign Lord, the one who's in control. How can we find fault in this God? And th- this problem of forgetfulness is it's not just for a group of people. No, it's, it's actually for the whole group of the Israelites, from the lowest in the society to the officials. We saw that in the video. We see that it's the, the people of Israel, but also their kings, their officials, the priests, the ones who would minister before the Lord, and also their prophets who would speak God's word to them. And what's the result of forsaking God? Well, again, as mentioned in the video, and we can find in the book of Deuteronomy, if they, if they broke God's law, if they broke the agreement, then they would experience hardship and toil, diseases, terror in the face of their enemies. And that's exactly what Jeremiah is speaking into. He's coming to them at a, a period of their existence where they're about to be destroyed by nations around. And they have broken God's law. Have a look with me to verse 19. Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God. They've broken God's law and they're experiencing pain and bitterness. Israel were forgetful, but we're just as forgetful as well. How many people can remember the memory verse from last year? 
Some of you might remember, some of you have forgotten. I'm going to remind ourselves that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is the same thing called for Israel. Have we forgotten the same thing? We forget all the time. We forget our story. We forget our testimonies. We forget that we were once sinners deserving of wrath, but God rich in mercy saved us, loved us when we didn't love him, died for us when we hated him, and has opened our eyes to see that Christ is Lord, is alive, and is the one we need. But what other things do we forget? We forget sometimes the small things that God has done in our lives. Those daily blessings, uh, the friends that we have, the family we have, uh, our small groups, our, our prayer partners. Israel forgot their story and we tend to forget our story too. And so we need to remember our story and we need to remind ourselves of our story. And so I want to suggest three ways in which we can do that, how we can uh, remember our history with the Lord rather than forget. And so the three things are this. One, tell somebody your testimony. It's, you'll be surprised at how much uh, you will be excited once more, once you remind yourselves of what God has done for yourself. And as you tell that, not only will you be excited, but the person you're telling it to will be excited too. Wow, look what the Lord has done for this person. The second thing is, is to remind yourself of the gospel story. Sometimes we, we forget that. We just need to stop and say, God, you, I'm a sinner, but you loved me, you sent your son, you died for me. You raised him to life, you raised me to life, and I will have eternal life with you. That's such a great thing. I need to remind myself. We need to remind ourselves of our story. And the third thing is journal. It's something that I've done before and haven't done recently, but it is a really, really good thing. Because sometimes with the journaling, you may not notice at the time what's gone on, whether it's good things or bad things. But what is great is picking up that journal in years to come and looking at your story and you see, actually, God, you you did come through. You were there. You did help. You did provide that person. How about you start journaling? There's also one more thing. Those studies that I was quoting at the beginning about our forgetfulness, uh, it's it's not a hopeless story. Uh, We can help ourselves remember uh, those studies say that if we remind ourselves of, of small things daily, if we take the things we've learned, so take my talk, and remind ourselves the next day, just sort of like all the things that we looked over, and then do that the next day and the next day, the time taken to recall of all of those things gets less and less, and you start to memorize it. How about we do the same thing with the scriptures and, and the, the sermons and, and the Bible passages that we go through until it becomes almost second nature? We're reminding ourselves and we can recall it easily. So we've looked at Israel, how they've, uh, they so easily forgot their history, uh, and, uh, how we easily forget our history too. And the next thing is what happened next for Israel, for Israel. They didn't just forsake God, but they started to chase after other things. And uh, this, this whole idea of forsaking God, it's not a passive thing. It's not that we sort of stop. I'm like, I'm, I've forsaken you, God. I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, no, it's, it's not like we're going to be sitting on the fence now. We're, we're, we, will, we are creatures of worship, and therefore we will start to pursue other things. It's something that Israel did, and it's something that we do too. If we're not worshipping God, we will end up worshipping something else or someone else. 
Have a look at verse 13. This, I think this really encapsulates this whole message uh, of chapter 2 really well. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, or forgotten me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It's their own sort of personal supply of water that they needed in the ancient world. And we start to find our spiritual dependency and spiritual security in other places. And that's what's on the back of your service order, this next section. We're chasing after false loves and false securities. This may seem like a, like a, a big chunk, uh, Jeremiah, to, to, to grapple with, but we can get our heads around it because those two things, false loves and false securities, are the main bulk of the message. So the first thing about embracing idols is verses 5 to 13 and verses 20 to 32. And then also this, this false securities, Israel was placing its dependency, its security in the superpowers around them of the day. So we see that in 14 to 19 and 33 to 37. So we're going to look at those two things, false love and false security. Uh, but, but first, uh, how many have read The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe? Ah, oh, there's a lot of hands there. Great story. I, I, I devoured that book when I was younger. Um, and in the story, for those who aren't familiar, it's the story of four children, the Pevensey children, who find this magical wardrobe in their house, and they go inside it, and they, they enter into a big world called Narnia. And so the youngest, Lucy, goes first, and then the other children follow. Uh, but the one I want us to think about is the, is the character of Edmund. And Edmund goes in trying to, uh, to prove his sister wrong. Uh, but actually, he encounters temptation and danger. He encounters the white witch, which is the main antagonist enemy in the story. Edmund loves Turkish delight. I don't know if you do. It's not my favorite. And the witch gives him a whole box of Turkish delight to this uh, sugar-deprived uh, war rationed child or you know what, what could go wrong <laughs> and so uh, he he devours this entire box of Turkish delight and and he wants more but the witch tells him he's got to go off and do certain things and what proceeds from this point onwards is all those bad decisions you see just just so he get, he gets some more Turkish delight he was obsessed over this thing we read later that it made him sick and that he uh, found it unsatisfying and untrustworthy. We looked at verse 5a. Let's look at verse 5b. I'll, I'll read from, What faults did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? Here we go. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. This phrase worthless is repeated again. Have a look down in verse 8. The prophets prophesied by Baal, that's an ancient Canaanite god, following worthless idols. And again in verse 11, just to emphasize the point. My people have exchanged their glorious god for worthless idols. Remember, Israel has broken this covenant, this agreement with God. God says you shall have no other gods before me and don't can make an idol. And what two things have they done here? Followed other gods made an idol. This worship, this love was meant to be reserved for God, but they didn't. They followed these other gods. And look at this in verse 25. How revealing is this? But you said, this is Israel saying, it's no use. I love foreign gods. I must go after them. 
How emotive is that language of love? That love that was meant to be reserved for gods, they are putting in worthless idols. Here's a quote by Tim Keller in Counterfeit Gods. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. So there's two problems here with, with, with idolatry. And the first thing is they are unsatisfying. They'll go back and back and back and it won't fill that void. And that's the sort of the language that Jeremiah is using in the middle bit of, of, of the passage in 20 to 25. We're not going to go over it. It's the bit where he's using word pictures of, of animals that are in mating season and trying to find a mating partner or the picture of a prostitute. They're just chasing around and trying to find the thing that satisfies, but it doesn't satisfy. It's just with whomever, whatever, whenever, and then again and again and again. Idols are unsatisfying. And the second thing is they're untrustworthy. This is, uh, if you look down to verse 27, this is when the Israelites realize they're in trouble, then they say, come, save us, you can see at the end of the verse. And the Lord responds, where then are the gods you made yourselves? Let them save you if you're in trouble. See, they place their trust in these idols that are dead, that were never living, that were unsatisfying, and they found them to be untrustworthy as well. And we look at Israel and we think, I'll never be like that. You know, I can, I'll never be, I'll never go down to Brighton Beach and pick up a nice stone that looks, looks cute, looks beautiful. And I think just like in, uh, verse, uh, let me find it here. Verse 27 to this stone here, you gave me birth. You can be my God. You know, we think, oh, we're, we're beyond that. But actually the idolatry, uh, that's the temptation to us. It's, it's very much present. And it's very much still a danger. We're going we're gonna to come back to that in a second. But I want to look at the second thing, which is chasing after false powers. Uh, returning to Narnia with Edmund again. He was putting his trust, he was putting his dependency, his security in, in, the, in this white witch. Because she had the appearance of power, control of this whole little place. Uh, the, the ability to solve all of his problems, making him king um, and solve the, the rivalry with his, with his brother. But the thing is, she disappointed him. She betrayed him. She took him and and threw him in prison when he didn't give her what she wanted. And Israel has experienced something similar when it's put its trust in false securities, false powers. Look at verse 14. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? Why then has he become plunder? Verse 15, they have laid waste his land. His towns are burned and deserted. The men of Memphis and Taphanes have cracked your skull. So Egypt uh, was one of those places around them. So was Assyria, these big superpowers of the day. And they were running to them thinking, I'm going to put my trust, my security in them. I can find my meaning. But actually, they disappointed. Verse 36, we see at the end of the, of the chapter. You will be disappointed by Egypt as you were by Assyria. You will also leave that place with your hands on your head. For the Lord has rejected those you trust and you will not be helped by them. You can't trust them. 
They're unsatisfying. This is the problem with false loves and false securities. So I want us to think about some of the things that uh, we chase after in our own lives that are false loves or false securities. And they may be things which are small or they may be things that are big. They may be things even that we're not fully aware of. And uh, I think only you or maybe a close friend could be the ones who could say, hey, you're really struggling in this way. What could it be? An unhealthy relationship? Could it be an obsession over food or alcohol or drugs? Could it be an obsession over another person, idolizing yourself, people's opinions of yourself? What is it? What about seeking after the next thrill, the next holiday? What, what are the things that you're chasing? What about this? What absorbs your thinking in the silence? For, for where your thoughts go, it really does betray where, what, what your heart is thinking about and where your, where your heart allegiances lie. Remember that the quote again, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God is an idol. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is. So the question is, what are you treasuring? What are you treasuring? Are you treasuring the glorious God Almighty or something or someone else? And also, the false securities, the things that we run to, the things that we put our trust in, what do those look like for us? Well, again, it could be a relationship in a time of difficulty that we run to, a material thing that we take solace in. Maybe it's a, a TV show that we just go and, and binge watch when things are difficult. Uh, maybe it is something that we, uh, we think that will help us, like a, a, a big career aspiration or a salary thing that we're chasing or an exam result. Or maybe other things similar to Israel. We put our trust in politics, in, in big leaders, world leaders, in pop stars, in big YouTubers, or anything that maybe will provide that little bit of security. See, these are false securities. There is only one hope on which we build our trust. And as the old hymn says, on Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. I want us to, uh, just before we finish that section as well, just to look back to verse 19 on page 757. Just that little phrase towards the bottom. How evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me. And by that awe, I mean, I mean a high view of God, a big view of God. Is your view of God big or is it small? Is your view of God the one before whom we tremble? The one whom heavenly creatures sing and praise night and day without ceasing? We were created to be in relationship with God and see him truly as he is. So maybe we need to start doing a little bit of that, gazing at God. This is a verse from 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Why am I saying that? So instead of running to the idols, instead of chasing the idols, we need to chase after God. How about you study the life of Christ, the person of Christ, the work of Christ in the Gospels and see how your heart changes. Remember that bit we looked at, those worthless idols made the people of Israel worthless. They became worthless themselves. You become what you behold. 
Israel worshipped worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Study Christ, and by the power of his spirit, you will become Christ-like. Gaze at God. So, we've seen that Israel has forsaken God, and they were chasing after false loves and false securities. And it seems like this whole message of Jeremiah is just one of judgment and woe, and that you're doing all the things wrong. Where's the hope? Where's the, where's the, the good news? It is in here. Have a look at the beginning of the passage. Returning to first love. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness. Through a land not sown, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. So this is God reminding his people, even though they've committed spiritual adultery, they've gone after idols instead of him, that he is calling them back to that first love. Love me. Love me, the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That picture, that language of love, he's wooing them like a, like a, bride, a groom would, would woo his bride. That covenantal marriage relationship. Come back to your first love. That language sounds so similar, doesn't it, to the book of Revelation, to the church of Ephesus. Return. Return to the first love, the love you had at first. You see, God has shown himself to us in this passage, in Christ, as our creator, sustainer, protector, provider. Why would we want anything else? Why would we want anything else? And we need to remind ourselves of that love displayed on the cross. And this is why the cross is so essential and central to everything that we do and everything that we are. Because in it, we're reminded of what God is like. And we are reminded of the deep love that he has for his people. And therefore, when we see that, we love him too. We grow in our affection and we love him as a result. Gaze at the cross. Return to your first love. He's calling us today. Return. Come back to me. And the second thing is living waters. We reference this at the beginning. Verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God is saying to them, I am the spring of living water. I'm life. Why are you going elsewhere? He says that in verse 18 and 19. Why are you drinking from the rivers in Egypt and the Nile and Assyria and etc.? Why are you drinking from them? Drink from me. Those gods are dead. They were never alive. Steph and I uh, love to visit Edinburgh. Edinburgh is my university town. And uh, we, when we, it's my favourite city in the world as well. Nothing like it. Um, and when we go, uh, Steph says there is a noticeable difference in the water compared to down south. See, the water down south is hard and is scaly, and you you drink one glass of water and then you drink another one and another one just because you just you feel that thirst. It doesn't it doesn't end. But when you drink Scottish water. I'm advocating Scottish water here. When you drink Scottish water, you take that mouthful and you feel refreshed. It satiates that thirst. Because it's probably softer and, and etc. But the point is this. It satisfies more. It's good water. Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus says, I will fill you with life. 
I will fill them with my spirit and they will be satisfied because I am the only one who satisfies. That's what Israel was getting wrong. They were going everywhere else to anyone else. But the Lord is the only one who satisfies. He's the ones with living water. I'm going to invite the the bands to come up um, before we go into our last two songs. And I want us to uh, think about some of our responses here to the passage that we've read. And there's there's two things I want to draw upon. The first thing is uh, uh, the, the thing related to false loves and false securities. For us to think about what are those things that are drawing our hearts away from the Lord. And for us to have a serious conversation with ourselves, Maybe we need to ask the Holy Spirit, open my eyes, Lord, to see what are the things that are hindering me from loving you. And then we, to make some concrete decisions. Maybe we need to, to stop that thing, do a little bit less of that thing, cut that thing off. Maybe we need to take up that thing. What are the things that are drawing our hearts away from the Lord? As an example, Lent is maybe a good time to focus on that. We've got that in a couple of weeks' time. Maybe use that as an opportunity to do that thing where you go through the Gospels and study Christ. Commit yourself to to a chapter or so a day. Study him, be changed by him. And the other thing is confession. The the, the message of here of Jeremiah is, is one which is calling the people of Israel to repentance. And I don't know what you feel about confession in church, but I've grown to really love it. Uh, over the past couple of years. I think we, we do it well here as a church. Uh, and I encourage you not to switch off when we do confession uh, and to think about the words and to think about uh, the sins that, we're, that we've committed individually and we've committed corporately as a, as a church. Because this is the time to say, Lord, I have forgotten my history with you. I have forgotten who you are. And I have been chasing after all these other things. And it's left me unsatisfied. And I need you. And so there's, I haven't got any liturgy here for us to read from the screens. And so what we're going to do is just take a a moment of stillness. And I'll just lead us through a couple of phrases. And maybe you'll want to, to echo those phrases in your own mind. So as we, as we close here, thinking about this message where God is calling his people back to himself. Calling them to, to run away from those idols, run away from those securities, false securities rather than running to them. For us to say, God, we are sorry. We're sorry from straying from you. We're sorry for finding fault in your goodness. Sorry for doubting who you are. We are, ex- we are sorry for exchanging your glory for worthless idols, false loves, and false securities. We're sorry that we haven't been a people that's reflected who you are to the world. And we choose to repent. We choose to make a 180, turn around and come back to our first love, come back to you. And we turn to Christ, the only source of our living water. 
Would you help us to do that, Lord, this week, this year, and for the rest of our lives, we pray. Amen.